Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello and welcome to this week's news podcast, hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. I'm Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor at Chemical Watch, and for today's episode, I'm joined from Washington, D.C. by our North America reporter, Julia John, and from Brussels by our Europe reporter, Catherine Carlson. Our subjects for discussion this week reflect the growing pressure on per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances in a number of jurisdictions across the globe. We start with the latest U.S. state-level moves to restrict the use of PFAS, including the signing into law in Vermont of a bill prohibiting certain substance classes in a broad range of products. But first, let's start with Europe, where fast food giants, including McDonald's and KFC, are facing renewed calls to rapidly phase out their use of PFAS in takeaway food packaging after an NGO investigation found widespread intentional use of the substances in the EU. The issue is particularly high on the European agenda thanks to the EU chemical strategy, where a PFAS action plan with restrictions on use in products is scheduled for 2021 to 22 under the Sustainable Products Initiative. Also, a reach restriction for all non-essential uses, which is scheduled for 2022 to 24. The European Commission is also undertaking a revision of food contact materials legislation, which NGOs hope will harmonise rules for food packaging made of different materials. So, Catherine, uh, first of all, can you tell us about uh, how the NGO investigation was conducted? You know, who was involved and how was it carried out? Hi, Kate. Um, So the investigation was a joint effort between several European NGOs, including Arnica, Chemtrust, ClientEarth and Heal. They conducted two types of tests on paper, board or plant fibre food packaging items. So your typical pizza boxes, French fry bags, moulded cardboard drinks holders, this kind of thing, uh, across six European countries. The first test was a very simple one called an oil beading test. Essentially, you drop a small amount of oil on the surface of the packaging, and if it forms a bead shape, that indicates that the packaging has probably been intentionally treated with PFASs so that it will repel oil. They did this test on 99 samples, and 38 of those were suspected to have been treated intentionally with PFASs. They then also analyzed 42 samples in a lab, where they were testing for total organic fluorine content and for specific PFAS substances. Of these 42, 32 showed intentional treatment with PFASs, but all of the samples showed trace levels of PFAS, which means they're likely to be unintentionally contaminated with the substances. Thanks, Catherine. So what were the findings regarding the major brands, McDonald's and KFC? So the NGOs found that McDonald's packaging items were suspected to be treated with PFASs, except for items in Denmark, where there is a ban on the use of PFASs in paper and board items intended to come into contact with food. 
They also found that some McDonald's samples contained a high level of compounds similar to PFOA, which is restricted in the EU and was banned globally late last year. A burger paper from the Netherlands and a cake bag from Germany had the third and fourth highest levels of those compounds, so similar to PFOA, uh, out of all of the lab-tested samples. KFC packaging items were suspected to have been treated with PFAS, and a KFC item, which was a burger paper from Germany, had the highest levels of PFOA-like compounds of all of the samples tested. Okay, thanks again, Catherine. So how have the brands responded? Well, we haven't heard back from KFC, but we did contact them asking for a comment. McDonald's did get back to us. Uh, It said that its packaging materials are, quote, compliant with FDA, EU, and all local regulatory bodies, end quote, and that they are, quote, continuously monitoring, testing, and innovating on all packaging materials to ensure their safety. But with or without the findings of this latest investigation, the pressure to eliminate PFASs from food packaging is really on for major brands after a recent string of voluntary initiatives. So the US-based Wendy's and Chipotle have said they aim to eliminate PFASs from their packaging by the end of this year. And Taco Bell, which is also in the US, has committed to a phase-out by 2025. McDonald's itself has pledged a global phase-out of PFASs from its packaging by 2025. But the NGOs argue that if it can remove PFASs from its Danish products, then it could speed up this timeline globally. McDonald's didn't say if they intend to change their timeline, but they did say they're proud of the 2025 pledge. Okay, thanks very much, Catherine. So let's turn now to the US, where the latest developments in state-level moves to restrict use of PFAS include the signing into law in Vermont of a bill prohibiting certain substance classes in a broad range of products. Vermont now stands out with the nation's first bans on PFAS in carpets, rugs, aftermarket treatments and ski waxes, and potentially also bisphenols in food packaging. So, Julia, can you tell us a little more about what's in the Vermont law and its restrictions, and how has the industry responded? Yeah, for sure. So Vermont's new law builds on policies adopted by other states over the past couple years, but it's actually unprecedented because it includes America's first bans on PFASs in carpets, rugs, aftermarket treatments, and ski waxes, and possibly, as you said, on bisphenols in food packaging. The statute tells Vermont to remove PFASs and phthalates from food packaging which New York, Maine, and Washington had decided to do some to some extent earlier. And this and the PFAS prohibitions I mentioned will be implemented in July 2023. And before that, from July 2022, these long-lived chemicals and firefighting foam will be banned, and companies will need to report on three of them in kids' products, and those are PFHXS, PFHPA, and PFNA. The bill also directs Vermont's Department of Health to restrict bisphenols in food packaging if the agency or another state finds a safer, equally effective, and cost-competitive substitute is adequately available. But this could exclude any bisphenol without sufficient proof of a potential risk. And because of its broad scope and class-based treatment of commonly used compounds, 
The new policy will affect multiple diverse industries, and understandably, some industry stakeholders are not pleased with it. Robert Simon, the American Chemistry Council's Vice President of Chemical Products and Technology and Chlorine Chemistry, says that lumping substances together, despite data showing they're different, is a misguided approach to consumer protection. According to him, the measure is the latest in a patchwork of unworkable laws at the state level. He believes that if a federal or state authority has said a chemical is safe to use, industry should be able to use it. Mr. Simon emphasized the importance of ensuring the availability of some of these innovative materials to provide important performance characteristics. But not everyone in all the sectors affected by the bill's enactment are opposed to it. For instance, Steve Poulin, the CEO of ski wax producer Swix, which had already eliminated PFAS from its waxes, says that it backs the legislation. He thinks that there's no reason to compromise on the environment when there are fluoro-free alternatives that achieve the same results. Okay, thanks very much, Julia. Um, now, I understand that there are some concerns with the law's restrictions for food contact materials and the availability of affordable alternatives. Can you just talk a little, little bit more about that? Yeah, so the main concern is complying with Vermont's ban on PFAS, phthalates, and potentially bisphenols in food packaging. So options without these substances do exist. According to Keith Forst, um, the director for the Polymer and Food Protection Consortium in Iowa State University's Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition. However, they're much less available and affordable than you know, the typical options. So businesses could experience challenges as they try to move to the kind of packaging products that, the, that the, this law mandates. Dr. Vorst says companies want a cheap, plentiful silver bullet that doesn't change the manufacturing process. But because that's difficult to obtain, they could end up seeking workarounds. Since the bill doesn't specify what the state would accept as unintentionally added amounts of banned compounds, and isn't cost-effective, he thinks businesses could continue using packaging with prohibited chemicals and just claim that they're contaminants. Dr. Bohr suggests companies talk to suppliers as soon as possible and research the financial effects and availability of such replacements, evaluate their technological capacity and chemical data, determine a timeline for scaling substitutions, and analyze any barriers and find solutions. The ACC says the food packaging restrictions will impact families and businesses across Vermont that rely on these important food service products and could lead to more expensive, less functional substitutes. Still, when it comes to PFAS, as was mentioned earlier, McDonald's, Amazon, Trader Joe's, and over a dozen other corporations have recently committed to reducing the compounds in food packaging. According to Sarah Dahl, nonprofit Safer States National Director, the market is moving quickly to eliminate PFAS from food packaging, and Vermont's policy adds to the momentum. And Mike Shade, Mind the Store Campaign Director at Safer Chemicals Healthy Families, says the legislation demonstrates companies 
must get out in front of the regulatory curve and ban these unnecessary toxic chemicals. Okay, thank you, Julia. Um, so you've reported that um, Vermont's law puts the state ahead of most others in the US in terms of restrictions and especially on uh, PFASs, um, but perhaps not for that long because um, you've also reported about bills in California and Maine that could add even more restrictions. So can you tell us more about the legislation that's being considered in those states? Yeah, for sure. So the California Assembly unanimously passed AB 652, which aims to ban PFASs in various kids' products and limit exposure for children, who could be especially vulnerable to the compound's possible health effects. The measure would make the state among the first in the U.S. to get rid of these chemicals in that product category starting July 2023. The legislation would ban the sale of new juvenile products containing intentionally added PFASs at levels of 100 parts per million or more of total organic fluorine. It also has a regrettable substitution clause that would require manufacturers to pick the least toxic alternative when replacing the substances. The bill addresses many items for children under 12 years old, uh, including play pens, play mats, sleep products, booster seats, chairs, swings, walkers, carriers, strollers. But it wouldn't cover internal pieces of products that would not come into direct contact with a child's skin or mouth. And it also omits electronic products and medical devices. Assemblymember Laura Friedman, uh, AB 652 sponsor, says that the bill targets non-essential PFAS uses. And jumping across the country to Maine, its bicameral Committee on Environment and Natural Resources unanimously approved LD 1503, which would eliminate non-essential PFAS use in products by 2030 to limit PFAS exposure. This development moves the state a little closer toward what would be the most far-reaching strategy in the U.S. to control the potential risks of this chemical class. LD-1503 would ban the sale of most new products and components containing intentionally added PFAS, beginning with carpets, rugs, and fabric treatments in January 2023. It would also require manufacturers to notify the State Department of Environmental Protection of items with added PFASs sold in Maine. The bill would then allow the agency to ban the sale of PFAS-containing product categories, starting with those most likely to contribute to environmental contamination. And to fund these regulatory activities, the measure would enable the Department of Environmental Protection to charge reporting companies fees. According to Patrick McRoy, the Deputy Director for Defend Our Health, the proposal's chances in both legislative chambers are quite good because bills with unanimous support in both in committee are usually enacted on a voice vote without for a debate. Mr. McRoy said that he expects the governor to sign the bill into law since the uh, Department of Environmental Protection supports it. Okay, thanks so much, Julia, for that overview. 
So that brings us to the end of today's episode. So thank you again to Catherine Carlson and Julia John for sharing their insight into today's stories with us. And thank you to you, our audience, for listening to today's episode. If you would like to find out more about the topics from today's discussion, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. Also at the website, you will find details of uh, PFAS Updates 2021. Now, During this one-day virtual event on June 23rd, you'll hear key stakeholders from regulatory authorities, industry and academia discussing fluoropolymers and their alternatives in the EU and regulatory trends in the US. Until next week, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. The Chemical Watch Podcast.